Um, before I head downstairs to um, be with the kids, I have the joy and the pleasure of introducing to you all our guest speaker for today. Dr. Claudia May is a storyteller, a poet, an educator, a spiritual director, consultant, author, and a specialist in practical theology, African-American, Caribbean, and ethnic American literature. She is an associate pastor and program director of reconciliation studies at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota. She is a recipient of a grant by Bridging the Two Cultures of Science and Humanities II, a project that's run by Scholarship in Christianity in Oxford, the UK subsidiary, the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, with funding by Templeton Religion Trust and the Blake Mayer Foundation. She recently received a gold medal in 2019 through the Illumination Book Awards and the Midwest Book Awards for her children's book uh, called When I Fly with Papa. Today, her award-winning book is also here with her, and it's in the back in the lobby, available for purchase. Um, but most significantly to me, Dr. May is a dear friend and colleague. God has blessed me with her, and in our friendship, in our conversations, I have experienced hope, healing, and growth through our friendship. And so please join me in welcoming Dr. Claudia May. Mark 5, 21, 34. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in a crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Mark chapter five, verse 35. 
While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. While, they, while when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha come, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Mark chapter five, verses 21 through 43. What a privilege to be here um, to share God's word with you in a church led by pastors and servants of this church. I have felt so loved and invited in being here today. Desperation drenched Jairus. It consumed his mind and body. An unspecified ailment overwhelmed his little girl, his 12-year-old child, his baby girl. Yes. He was a leader of a synagogue. Yes, he was a man of presence. Yes, he was an important figure. And yes, he read the Torah, the sacred Jewish text that recalls the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures. As a synagogue leader, he would have been responsible for supervising the building and overseeing the planning of services. But his stature, his position, his knowledge, resources, and influence could not save his beloved daughter. Not even the meaning of his name could heal his daughter. Jairus's name, which could mean he will enlighten or he will arouse, awaken, could not enlighten or release her from the grasp of death. Many of us come from cultures where our names mean something. They connect us to a family, a tribe, a clan, a community, a people, a history, a village, a legacy. Sometimes an elder in our family gives us our name that holds special meaning to our tribe, our clan, our community, our family. Such connections ought not to be denied, but acknowledged and celebrated. But how can such connections nurture our relationship, our connection with Jesus? To answer this question, we go back to the meaning of Jairus' name. If you remember, his name could mean he will enlighten or he will arouse, awaken. In step with these meanings of his name, recipients like you and I, who engage with Jairus' story and that of his daughter, can be enlightened to the ways Jairus' actions show us what it means to be present to our vulnerability, and share our human frailties, our anxieties, our fears, our desperate need with Jesus. We learn in this story that Jesus came, can come to Jesus, 
just as he is. He does not have to pretend when he engages with Jesus. He does not have to self-edit his thoughts or swallow his emotions when he begs Jesus to heal his daughter who was at the point of death. When Jesus interacts with Jesus, he enlightens us the liberty available to men and women when they experience emotional freedom with Jesus. We can be transparent and vulnerable with Jesus and Jesus embraces our vulnerability, our human frailties, our weaknesses. We don't have to hide. We don't have to be ashamed when we do not know what to do. We don't have to silence ourselves. We can bring all our feelings, all of our body to Jesus. And Jesus can awaken us to our need for him. He can awaken us to his willingness to walk with us, alongside us through our pain. Jesus, Jairus's vulnerability, Jairus's desperation also helps us to consider a number of questions and concerns. What if a father anchors his identity in always being strong and all-knowing and finds himself in a situation where he is crippled by anxiety or does not know what to do? What do you do as a father if you cannot live up to the expectations of others? Many fathers believe they cannot live up to the expectations they have built for themselves. Many fathers live with the assumption that they must bury their emotions, numb themselves to their emotions, and silence their voice if they are in need. What happens to the body when a father suppresses feelings to, to the extent that he is overwhelmed by trauma? Psychologists Bessel van der Kolk and Rita Fisler maintain that, quote, we remember trauma with our feelings and our bodies. In her summary of their work, Dr. Janina Fisher explains that the brain scan research, recent brain, uh, brain scan research shows us that when we remember a traumatic event, memory centers in the front lobes shut down and we get overwhelmed by feelings and impulses instead of recalling events. The limbic system, which is in the middle of the brain, responds to memories with increased activity, especially in the amygdala. This is the brain's, if you like, smoke detector, an emotional memory center. The amygdala sounds the alarm as if we were in danger right now. And the brainstem, which is at the, found in the back of the head, reacts instinctively to the amygdala's alarm. The heart rate increases. We stop breathing or we hyperventilate. Muscles tense, we either speed up or shut down. Our nervous system helps us to defend ourselves. Fight or flight responses tell us, don't just sit there, do something. Jairus fought and he responded to the crisis of dealing with his daughter's condition by inhabiting a fight and flight response to the situation. He does not just sit in his daughter's room, he does something. But his faith in Jesus adds dynamic dimensions to this process that is as life-giving as it is life-saving for his daughter. Jairus does not deny the problems he faces. Although he is overwhelmed, 
he manages to live in the tension of his thoughts and feelings. He does not disassociate himself or separate himself from those feelings or his daughter. He allows himself to feel and he remembers who he is fighting for. In this, his memory center or memory bank in the frontal lobes of his brain has not shut down. He can recall what is happening to his precious daughter. Metaphorically, Jairus flies, if you like, toward rather than flees away from the presence of Jesus. Jairus does not fight Jesus in the physical sense, but he does do something by begging Jesus to heal his daughter. Jairus knows that he cannot fight this battle alone, but he does fight for the life of his daughter when he pleads with Jesus to fight for his daughter's life by healing her. Jairus is aware of his limitations. He knows what he can and cannot do. He cannot rely on his reputation to save his daughter. And so he presses his way into the crowd. And as he does so, and remember Jesus is surrounded by this huge crowd, there are no guarantees that he will get to Jesus, but he tries. Like the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus does, Jairus does not shackle himself, bind himself, imprison himself to the appearance of strength. He does not pretend to be strong and impenetrable, and he does so publicly. It takes strength not to perform strength. I'll say that again. It takes strength not to perform strength. It takes strength and faith to show our vulnerability with others and with Jesus. For some of us, as we get older, we begin to believe that living out a mature faith means that we don't struggle or show emotional vulnerability. As a leader and perhaps elder in the community, Jairus teaches us that we don't have to live by that false sense that mature faith means that we won't experience challenges. Jesus, Jairus also shows himself to be the kind of father who places his identity as a father above his position of leadership in the synagogue. Let me explain. Most leaders in many cultural contexts are often encouraged to present themselves as above certain behaviors. It's actually not a good look for an elder of a community to throw him or herself to the ground, to fall at somebody's feet, to plead in public, to cry ugly. Many would see such a conduct as an act of weakness. But Jairus does not fall at the feet of just anyone. He falls at the feet of Jesus, and by doing so, he allows Jesus to be his strength. He does not try to control who will see him, because to do so would have been a waste of time and energy. For to control what people see, or to control a situation 
that we are not in control of can end up controlling those of us who want to be in control. The views of others do not matter to Jairus. He doesn't go to his synagogue and ask permission to see Jesus. And Jesus does not criticize, dismiss, ignore, ridicule, or shame Jairus. Jesus embraces Jairus' weakness and vulnerability. And Jairus shows strength in other ways. He loves and values his daughter. Do you know you can love somebody, but not love, but not value that individual? I'm going to say that again. Do you know you can love somebody, but not value that individual? Let me explain. Some cultures value one gender over another. So you can love your daughter, but not value her in the same way you would love a son. Because in that culture, a son, especially a firstborn son, is highly prized, valued, and treasured because of his potential to take care of the family when he grows older. But Jairus makes no distinction. Now it's true, we don't know whether Jairus has any other children. But he does not bow to any cultural expectations that would devalue the life of a girl child. He keeps his focus on Jesus and places the presence and memory of his daughter at the forefront of his mind. And he's desperate, but he's not ashamed to show his desperation. Because to be ashamed of his disappointment desperation would require him to be ashamed of his daughter and he was not ashamed of his daughter he loved her he does he also does not allow voices to run through his mind to prevent him from getting the help his daughter needs some of you may experience those kinds of voices judgment and criticism that may say things like this man up stop throwing yourself to the ground Jesus won't want to talk to you because you're not man enough to deal with this situation by yourself. Your weakness embarrasses me. You are not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, holy enough to be, to be in the presence of Jesus. You're not a good follower of Jesus. Call yourself a leader of a synagogue? How come you don't have the answers to your problems? Some of you, some of us may hear voices that say, you're just a refugee, you're not American, you don't belong, you have no right to speak in our country. There are the voices that we may have heard from members of our family, school, church, social circles, workplaces and social settings, or during the long war in Laos, or during our escape, or during the long wait in the refugee camps in Thailand. For those settling in America who could, not, who could not secure work in those early years of the 1970s, and who encountered those who criticized them and their people for being unemployed and relying on federal and state assistance to live, to survive, these words still echo in the chambers of many hearts, many minds. But these voices do not have to hold us back. We 
can follow the lead of Jairus and be awakened to our need for Jesus and his strength, even when we are weak and strong. Jesus shows us through his interaction with Jairus how we can express empathy, acceptance, and unconditional love. Living out faith does not always feel good. It is not always comfortable. We express emotions differently. Similarly, there are any number of ways to experience our faith. And so Jesus listens and he observes. He listens to Jairus beg him repeatedly to heal his daughter. Perhaps in this begging, Jairus is able to release his fears and concerns to Jesus. So the dangers in his mind, the triggers in his mind, the alarm bells in his mind are calmed. He can think and feel at the same time without numbing himself to his feelings. Jesus partners Jairus and enables him to feel the fullness of his feelings and by doing so, Jesus communicates to Jairus that it's okay to feel at a loss. He justifies Jairus in his listening by not interrupting him when he speaks. We know when somebody has listened deeply in the way they respond. They have heard what you have said. And what Jesus does, he de-escalates the situation by keeping, keeping calm and he does not insist that Jairus be calm. Even when Jairus begs Jesus to lay his hands on his daughter and heal her, he does not ask Jesus how he will heal her. He tells Jesus what to do. Now, if Jesus were the kind of man that allowed pride to rule his heart, if Jesus wanted to show who is boss, he could have reprimanded Jairus for telling him what to do. But instead, Jesus listens. He listens. He listens. And allows Jairus' words to ride with the wind. Jesus' silence acknowledges Jairus' despair and human dignity. To listen is a verb and can be one of the most radical expressions of reconciliation God offers to us. And Jesus shows this when, when, G, when Jairus finishes speaking, Jesus goes with him to his, to his home so he can heal his daughter. And even when a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years touches Jesus, he makes time to, to, to discover her identity and converse with her. In this, Jesus can be somewhere and everywhere at the same time. Jesus also teaches us that multiple stories and experiences can converge and overlap. 
All our stories are, and emotions are important to Jesus. All situations matter to Jesus. What must Jairus, Jairus have thought when Jesus stops and engages with a woman who has been healed just by touching his cloak? Does worry flood his mind as he thinks about his daughter drawing close to death? Whatever his thoughts, Mark gives us no insight about how Jairus is feeling. What we do learn from Jesus is that, is that whether the child is a 12-year-old girl or a grown woman who has suffered from an ailment for 12 years, their ailments, their presence, their healing matter to him. And so when people tell Jairus, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? Mark does not record Jairus saying anything. In fact, we never hear Jairus speak again after his initial pleading of Jesus to heal his daughter. We only hear the words of Jesus. Jesus turns to Jairus. He does not address the people who come with this hard news about the death of Jairus' daughter and says, do not fear, only believe. Let's be clear here. Jesus does not say it is wrong to fear but stresses to not fear and by doing so acknowledges the realities of facing up to fear when a situation seems hopeless. And so when he says only believe, he calls Jairus to embrace faith over fear. He gives Jairus a way to confront his fears and Jairus listens and Jesus is with him. As he makes his way to Jairus' home, Jesus brings his inner circle with him, Peter, John, and James. Partnership is key to reconciliation. He offers Peter, John, and James the opportunity to learn from him. I have a question, some of you fathers, bros, father figures in the congregation. Do you have an inner circle who can partner you through life's trials and journeys. Do you go through life alone, even when you are part of a community and a, a vibrant family center? Do you make your feelings known to your family, your community, your social circles? Will you allow Jesus to partner you through life by allowing yourself to be real with him? And will you allow Jesus to help you to select those who can journey with you through this life? When Jesus, Peter, John, and James, and Jairus enter into Jairus' home, they are met with a group of people and they're making a commotion and weeping loudly. It was custom during this time for even the poorest person to hire professional mourners. Jesus responds to these people by asking them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Jesus, Jesus is not saying that weeping is wrong or that grieving is wrong, but he does present them with an opportunity to cling onto hope rather than grief. But rather than heed his words, the mourners laugh at Jesus. 
Now they could have laughed because they were nervous. They could have laughed because they did not know what to do. They could have laughed because they thought Jesus was foolish, but Jesus does not take offense to their laughter. He does not seek their respect. He does not allow himself to be distracted. His identity as a man is not rooted in seeking the approval of others. And so Jesus put the mourners outside to the child's father and mother and Peter and John and James into the room and keeps his focus on the matter at hand. Surrounded by this small circle, Jesus takes the hand of the little girl and says to her, Talitha come, which in Aramaic means little girl get up. I think it's very interesting the various use of languages that are used in this story. For some of us, we code switch. We speak one way in one setting and another in another, in a, a, another sort of language in another. But here, these, these languages become part of the whole story. Jesus takes this girl's hand. He does not lay his hand on the daughter. And as he does so, he relieves Jairus from being the kind of father who thinks he has to oversee every detail. Now, this is a story that doesn't endorse that you don't use medical professionals when you are in need of medical help or those of your family. But it does stress the importance of community in nurturing the life of a child and Jesus is part of that community. Jesus and his wife, sorry, Jairus and his wife, not Jesus and his wife, Jairus and his wife and their daughter witness how community can function. They can be recipients as well as givers. They don't always have to be strong. They don't always have to know what to do. And so when Jesus heals the daughter, as he's engaged with the messy emotions that come with grief and sadness, he can also embrace the exuberance of joy. All of these emotions are accommodated in the story. And not once does Jesus criticize those involved for the way they express their emotions, even those who laughed at him. And let's not forget even Jesus needed a father's love. Even Jesus looked to the God he called Father to listen to him. Even Jesus cried before his heavenly Father. Even Jesus learned to listen and spend time with his earthly Father. Jesus made God the Father his priority. And it is out of this love that he was able to heal a woman and a 12-year-old girl. And he brought hope and life to a household that once faced death but now live in life. Even Jesus needed to be loved as we, as for Jesus, need to be loved. Amen.